the free for all roundtable round two on round two we say good morning to richard kraus host of the podcast last call with richard kraus robert benzie is here queen's park bureau chief for the toronto star and sunira chaudhry employment lawyer at workley law good morning to you all um let's begin with where we are in the mayor's race i don't you know, maybe maybe you guys did take in some or all or portions of the mayor's debate last night, but I don't expect to assign homework. Robert Benzie, you're sort of the most wonkish amongst us. I imagine you would have taken in a bit of it. I was actually watching it, and when when uh, Kevin Clark intervened in that dramatic <laughs> moment, it was it was actually because I, I, I didn't know who it was at first. It was quite scary. I mean, he's a known commodity when it comes to uh, you know as a mayoral gadfly kind of thing. But at first, it looked like just someone attacking the stage. And I have to tell you, uh, John, I was impressed with the um, poise of all five mayoral candidates and with the uh, Daily Bread uh, organizers because it's it could have been a scary situation. And and it was diffused really quickly, and the debate went on. And I thought it was a good it was a good first look at these uh, at five of the six candidates. I, I know that that Mark Saunders didn't show up. I think uh, I was asking his campaign last night why they why he wasn't there, and apparently they said he had a prior commitment. I can't imagine what that commitment was that was yeah. more important than a televised debate on CP24, but. <laughs> Here we are. Okay, Sunira, I think for a lot of people, the mayor's race is kind of like that book that is sitting on your bedside table. We'll get to it. Yeah, I don't know that many people are paying attention quite yet, John, but um, I, I agree with Benzie. It's surprising that Mark Saunders uh, wasn't there, but it seemed, I mean, in, in watching snippets of it, I certainly, you know, I didn't watch the debate, but in watching snippets of it, it did seem pretty testy and it seemed like most of the focus was on Olivia Chow and how she would be responding in particular to this, you know, billion dollar hole to get out of um, in Toronto and how she would be addressing it. And a lot of the com- commentary I'm seeing about it is that uh, people felt that she felt fell flat in, in sort of responding to how she would deal with a lot of the rising costs and and her platform, how her platform would respond. So, you know, I think our early days seems to seem uh, seem like the focus was on Olivia Chow, pro- probably in large part because Mark Saunders wasn't there to also be sort of some of the focus. Yeah, and Richard Krause, I suspect between now and Election Day, it's going to be a bit like Squid Game because anybody can <laughs> win this, so they got to take everybody else down. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I watched uh, a little bit of it. Uh, I didn't love the tone of it, so I, I tuned out before Kevin Clark uh, rushed the stage. But in listening <laughs> in, in listening to the clips today, though, uh, I kind of had a, a, a small amount of PTSD because he used to campaign on the street corner across from me uh, for the last uh, couple of uh, mayoral uh, races, and he would be out there sounding like that for or six, seven hours a day preaching to whoever was coming by. And so you can't fault the guy's commitment, his methods, yeah, but uh, but hearing that voice again just uh, made me shiver a little bit. I, I, I listened to it. There it is. Look at this. All right, we're triggering Richard here. Yeah, just outside the house, hours a day. Um, Jerry was mentioning this. He's going to be unpacking it on his show, but I want to talk about it with you, and that is uh, school violence. Now, it should be noted this was a survey that was done by a union, so whenever a union does a survey, everybody's going to say everything is horrible in their workplace. But Richard, I'll start with you on this. 
This amplifies a story we told in News Talk 1010 some time ago, which is that teachers increasingly are fa facing hostile situations in the classroom, from kids who throw objects to kids who kick and bite. And, you know, I just cannot, I, when I remember what it was like to go to school, and you and I are of a similar age, mm -hmm. you know, we just sat at our desks and did our work. We never kicked the teacher. Our principal had something called the strap. And if you yeah. went near the teacher, you got the strap. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I sometimes wonder when I'm strolling through social media and I'm just seeing all these videos that seems to be coming up all the time of, of students attacking teachers. Am I just in this like weird little echo chamber of of uh, social media that tends to emphasize one thing? Uh, you know, this week it's going to be students attacking teachers next week. Who knows what it will be? But you just get in inundated with it, it seems. And, and you start to think like, is this happening all over the place? Or is it just this social media phenomenon is being amplified by Twitter? Uh, and it seems here, though, that it is happening more and more and more. And I think that, you know, the pandemic is to blame for part of it. I think that there is just a general lack of civility now. And uh, people have, you know, after spending a couple of years with their thoughts are lashing out, they're not socialized properly, all that kind of thing. Uh, but it's extraordinarily troubling. And uh, I think, you know, down the road, we're going to find that we're going to lead uh, or this is going to lead to uh, a lack of great teachers, a lack of people getting into the profession, because who would want to go to work every day and have the potential threat of this kind of violence uh, looming over them? Sunir, I mean, you're an employment lawyer. You don't necessarily have to approach this through that lens. But I mean, these teachers are reporting increasingly a hostile workplace. Yeah, I don't have to approach it through that lens, but oh, I will, because I, I think, John, here, you know, if, if we really look at the, da the data that we're seeing, this is the Federation, the Elementary uh, Teachers Federation of Ontario um, canvassing or surveying their own members. So it's almost like, you know, uh, being asked, what are the issues in your workplace? We'll go to any employee most are going to come up with something. So it's not surprising to me that we're seeing high numbers here because I think the the framework of the actual survey is probably amplifying the issues. And we all know, I think as you rightly pointed out, John, early on, that uh, it's, it's always in a union's best interest to suggest that there are big problems. I'm not saying that there aren't uh, there isn't violence in schools, but I, I, I do question the data that way. But I, I also wanted to focus a little bit on Doug Ford's response because he says that, you know, he's challenging putting policing in schools as the answer is not the right answer. But I think that's taking away from what the right answer is. And I think, look, if after the pandemic, we have kids back in school, there are socialization issues. Do we need to, to address that through education assistance and psychology? Um, Probably, and I don't know that the, the the province has responded to those issues that we know that students are seeing going back to school after the pandemic. Okay, Robert Benzie, we invited the education minister onto the show this morning. His people declined, but do you know? Do you think the minister considers this to be a hot file? I mean, he was asked yesterday. Stephen Lecce was asked yesterday about uh, what the government was doing. Um, against the backdrop of this survey. And Sanira is right. The survey was tailored. If you look at the questions, it's tailored to get these kinds yeah. of responses. Because remember, uh, EDFO is in contract negotiations with with school boards and, and the province. So uh, it's in their interest, as Sanira points out rightly, to um, to make things as dire as they, as they possibly can. Having said that, Richard's not wrong. 
there are there are concerns that teachers have. I've had teachers emailing me uh, this morning already because we talked about it on, on earlier on, on, and they um, they're saying, look, this everyone in our in our in our school has felt this. So there's a whole bunch of things going on, and I I'm, I think. Uh, it's it's a tough one for government because they can't solve it with a magic wand. I mean, Premier Ford was criticized for what he said yesterday, saying parents need to do more. But I don't think he was totally wrong in the sense that there is a, a growing. It seems to me that there is a growing kind of uh, uh, feeling out there that that parents just let the schools handle their 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 misbehaving children, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I'm not saying the parents need to be, you know, corporally punishing their children. I don't think that works, but I do think that they're they're you need to teach your kids respect for their teachers and and, and others that they encounter. Yeah, I have to say the one thing uh, I miss, and Richard, you can probably speak to this as well. Um, the vice grip on the on the arm that a mother would apply <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> and that would we- end any unruliness. We, we had a teacher in my uh, school, uh, in my, like, I think it was grade nine or 10, who punched a student who was acting out and nothing really happened. Uh, there was, you know, some talk about it and parents were like, well, they probably shouldn't have done that. But you know that Tommy <laughs> Howard, he's a bad kid. And, and that was it. So times have certainly changed. But uh, yeah. yeah, I always remember yeah. you were mentioning the strap. There was this no. uh, urban myth at our school that if you placed a human hair on your hand, when they <laughs> strapped you, you would bleed, and then you could complain about it. Right. Well, see, we had Mr. Parker that did the strapping and what they would do on, you know, if someone was getting the strap, they would take him to the office. They would leave the door of the office open and then all up and down the halls, they would leave all the school uh, room doors open. So you would hear that, you know, and <laughs> and the, the whimpers of the student. And that was meant to keep us in line. And it and it, it worked. I don't agree with it, but it worked. OK, so the headline is Martha Stewart rocks the cover of Sports Illustrated. Is she actually rocking the cover of Sports Illustrated? Uh, Robert Benzie, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, good for Sports Illustrated for showing that that uh, you know women women don't disappear at age twenty five. It seemed to be in the olden days of the swim swimsuit edition that the the the, the swimsuit models who didn't look like anyone you knew in your in in real life. And I mean, here's Martha Stewart at eighty one. She looks terrific on the cover. Um, so I think they should be commended for celebrating uh, uh, beauty. I mean, I you know there are those who say we still object- objectification of women. So is there is that an issue? I don't know. Well, that's the thing, Sanira. I mean, the thing people are remarking upon is not that an eighty-one-year-old woman is on the cover; it's that she looks so young. So maybe we're still objectifying youth. I, I love everything about this cover. My friends, we were all circulating it yesterday in our group chats, all loving this cover. So, and I think part of it is, yeah, she's 81 and kind of redefining beauty as Benzie pointed out. But I think the other thing about Martha Stewart, which is so cool, she was the butt of everybody's joke, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And she's absolutely reinvented herself. She has totally ignored the critics and she is back. She is relevant. And I think that's what women in particular find exceptionally cool about Martha Stewart. Richard Krauss, it probably shouldn't come as too much of a surprise that they put Martha Stewart on the cover because they routinely come up with sort of stunts in order to get back to the whole thing of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. 
Sure. And I mean, it, it, it's a cool cover. I'm glad I admire Martha Stewart. Unlike one of the panelists earlier on round one, uh, I love that she's hanging out and doing a show yeah, with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. yeah, I think it it shows, you know, it it, it, it cuts through some of the, the edge shows. She has a, a sense of humor about herself, all that kind of thing. Um, I th also think that it's a, a savvy move to put her on the cover because who's buying magazines anymore? Well, it's an older demographic that's buying them. Uh, and so perhaps by putting icons on the cover that they recognize uh you, you might be more inclined to pick up a copy of it at the at the local newsstand so uh it works uh on a couple of different levels it, soon we've got harrison ford playing uh indiana jones uh the movie opens two weeks before harrison ford turns 81 years old so uh 80 is the new 60 or 50 or whatever you want it to be i guess well here's hoping from this guy in his 50s thank you everybody <laughs> <laughs> Sonera Chaudhry, Richard Krauss, and Robert Benzie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And keep it right here for the finest in talk radio in Canada. Jerry Agar is next. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.